Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 25 of the Employment Law and HR podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. Thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. I do hope that you find the content helpful for you in your business or just in general day-to-day life. If you haven't listened before, the purpose of this podcast is to provide a brief overview on areas of employment law and also a best practice HR tip. It's so that you can consume the content, keep up to date in an easy to access way without having to read lots of lengthy employment tribunal judgments. So I do that for you, bring you the updates and you just listen in the comfort of your car or when you're out walking or whatever that may be. For my regular listeners, I am extremely sorry that the podcast has been a bit irregular of late. I had been recording an episode to go out fortnightly and have been doing so since the podcast launched last year. Um, unfortunately, however, over the last couple of weeks, I've been extremely busy with cases in the employment tribunal and um, various employment tribunal deadlines. So that meant I haven't been able to get to the podcast um, as regularly as I'd like to. However, that's going to change and I will ensure that you get a podcast at least fortnightly with an update on employment law. And I will shortly also be bringing you some interviews with business owners, HR professionals and people who have experience in the employment tribunal or with employment problems one way or another. So hopefully that will increase the value of the content and um, you will continue to listen. If you've got something really great to share or some information or wisdom or experience that you'd like to pass on to other business owners and managers, then do please get in touch with me. I'd be really grateful and I would love to interview you. It wouldn't be a painful process, I promise. Um, all you need to have is an internet connection and the ability to use Skype and we can set that up. If you'd like to get in touch with regards to setting up an interview, my email address is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. What I'm going to do now is get straight into this week's update for you. And this one is about that hot topic holiday. For those of you who um, listen to the podcast regularly or subscribe to any of my updates or just listen to the news, you'll be aware that holiday has been rather a contentious issue over the last few years. And there have been a number of cases that have been decided by the European courts in relation to how holiday entitlement and holiday pay should work. There have been a number of cases about holiday pay, including about the commission and that sort of thing. And I'm not going to cover that in this podcast, but I will certainly cover that in a future podcast and you can find more information on my website. But what I'm going to talk to you about today is the right for sick employees to accrue holiday and to roll over their holiday into a new holiday year if they're not able to take it due to sickness. So the background to this is that several years ago, there were a string of cases that made their way to the House of Lords dealing with the issue of whether an employee who's on long-term sick leave could continue to accrue holiday. This particular issue started back in 2002 with a case in the Employment Appeal Tribunal in which the Employment Appeal Tribunal held that annual leave entitlement under the working time regulations continued to accrue during periods of sick leave. They also decided that a worker on long-term sick leave could designate four weeks in any leave year as statutory annual leave and they would be entitled to be paid for that annual leave. 
even if they'd run out of their normal sick pay. So what what had occurred was an employee on long-term sick leave had run out of pay and therefore was trying to designate time in that sick leave period as holiday. That case was then subsequently overturned by the Court of Appeal in another case which became known as the Stringer case which involved HMRC. And it finally made its way to the House of Lords who sent a number of questions to the European Court of Justice about the relationship between sick leave and statutory annual leave. The outcome of that was that, as I said earlier, employees continue to accrue holiday pay and holiday entitlement whilst they are off sick and they have the right to decide to take that at any time during their sick leave or they can accrue it and carry it over when they return to work. In a recent case that was been heard by the Employment Appeal Tribunal, Mr J.R. Plum versus Duncan Print Group Limited, the issue of sickness, absence and holiday was once again decided. So the facts in this case are that Mr Plum had an accident at work in April 2010. He remained on sick leave throughout that period of time up until... February 2014. So he didn't return to work. And in February 2014, his employment was terminated. Now the employer's leave year ran from the 1st of February to the 31st of January each year. And in accordance with the terms of Mr Plum's contract, he was entitled to a number of days holiday plus bank holidays and statutory holidays each year. Now in June 2013, Mr Plum wrote to his employer to clarify what the position was in in relation to his entitlement to paid annual leave. His employer wrote back saying that if he requested it for the leave year in which it was requested, he would be entitled to have annual leave. So on the 24th of July 2013, he wrote to his employer and formally requested leave for the years 2011 and 2012, um, stating that he'd like to take it in August. And then he wrote again in September, indicating that he was requesting permission to take annual leave that he had not taken since 2010. So that was about 20 days for each of the years, 2010, 11 and 12. So a total of about 60 days. He also requested leave for 2013, so the leave year in which he was making the request. And the employer agreed to his annual leave request for the year 2013-14, but they refused to pay for the previous years. So what they said was that he wasn't able to take holiday outside of the year in which it was actually accrued. That's why the case went to the Employment Tribunal and the Employment Tribunal at the first instance dismissed his claim and said that they weren't satisfied that he had been unable to take his leave in those previous years, 2010 to 2012, because of his medical condition. He then took it to the Employment Appeal Tribunal who looked at the decision of the tribunal and decided that actually the Employment Tribunal had made an error in their decision making here and It wasn't actually anything to do with the fact that whether he was medically able to take the leave or not and that an employee would be entitled to carry over the leave if they were off sick and unable to take it because of the sickness absence, not because of the medical condition. So what the um, Employment Appeal Tribunal concluded from that was that regardless of the reason why the employee didn't take the annual leave during the specific leave year, if they're off sick, They continue to accrue and are able to take it at a later date if necessary. So that was the decision. There was a second question that the Employment Appeal Tribunal had to decide in this case and that was for how long somebody could carry over the right to leave. 
So was it an indefinite period? Because obviously for, in Mr Plum's case, his initial accident was in April 2010. That's just under four years. So was he able to carry over the leave for that length of time? And what the Employment Appeal Tribunal concluded was that previous European cases show that there can be a limitation on the length of time for which leave can be carried over. There's nothing currently in law or in Mr Plum's contract. However, in line with the developing case law and the working time regulations, the Employment Appeal Tribunal decided that the European case law indicates that at most 18 months of carryover should be allowed in such circumstances and that sort of limit should be read into the regulations. So the outcome of that for Mr Plum was that he he was entitled to payment in lieu of annual leave for the leave year 2012-2013, but no earlier. So he missed out on 2010 and 2011. So what does this mean in practice? Well, the key things to take from this are that if you have an employee who's on long-term sick leave, they continue to accrue annual leave, they're entitled to take that annual leave if they request during the leave year if they don't request to take it during the leave year then they can carry that over into the next leave year and either take it when they return to work or uh, be paid in lieu but the maximum period in which they can carry over appears to be 18 months from the end of the leave year so it's not an indefinite period of time. From a practical perspective I would say that it would be an unlikely situation where an employee remains on sick leave for almost four years. And I would suggest that if you have a situation with somebody on long-term sick leave, that you regularly review things and keep up to date and, and deal with the issue before it gets that far. If you've got somebody who's on long-term sick leave, then it would be prudent to stay in touch with them. And one of the things that you can ask them is whether they wish to take their accrued annual leave during the leave year or if they want to carry it over. Ask that specific question as the employee may not know or even think that they can do so during their sick leave. And it will help you. Hopefully, if the employee returns to work, you won't then have to worry about them having, for instance, eight weeks leave in one year. As I said, holiday is a particularly complicated area now and there have, have been a number of cases about both this sick, the sickness um, issue and also about how pay for holiday is calculated. If you do have any problems or you have any questions in relation to holiday, then I would be very happy to answer them. You can drop me an email. It's alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk or you can have a look at my website and you can find further details of how you can get in contact with me. My HR best practice tip of the week is that if you provide training to your staff and it costs you money, so you pay for external training, for instance, or you send them on courses to enhance their skill set or to get them qualifications, is to ensure that you ask your staff to sign up to a training recruitment clause. And so you can either have this in your contracts or you can ask them to sign up to it prior to entering into the training. Essentially what this means is it gives you the opportunity should the member of staff either leave before they complete the course or get their new qualifications and go off to work elsewhere and take all their new skills with them then you can recover the cost that you've 
invested in that member of staff and training. So the way that you do this is you would need to ensure that the recruitment clause is on a sliding scale. What the um, courts have decided is that you can't just have a one-off, I'm going to recover the whole fee for the next year, because that would be a penalty. So what you have to do is look at the value that you're getting from that employee. So do it on a sliding scale. So for instance, um, a good example is if they leave within the first couple of months, then you would ask for 100% back. If they leave within a year, then you could reduce it down to 25%, for instance, um, just to reflect the value that you've got from your investment in that member of staff. I would certainly recommend that in order to make this kind of clause enforceable, you need to ensure that it's fair and reasonable. And if you need some assistance with that, I would be happy to help. So my best practice HR tip for this week is if you're making the investment in your staff, then ensure that you can recover that money should they decide to go elsewhere to work after they've received those qualifications. So you can use a training recruitment clause. Okay, so that's the end of episode 25. Thank you very much for listening. I do have a quick favour to ask of you, my lovely listeners, and that is to ask you to vote for the Employment Law and HR podcast in this year's UK Podcasters Awards. So for the first time ever, there's going to be a UK Podcasters Awards, which is taking place at the New Media Europe Conference on the 12th and 13th of September. And I would be really grateful if you would help me to win that award by voting for my podcast. The way that you can do that is you go to ukpodcasters.com and search in the directory for Employment Law and HR and you will see my podcast with my smiley face and a, a link which says nominate this podcast now. If you click on that link, you need to enter your email address and your name and you will receive an email to verify that you are a real person and not a robot. Um, if you could just verify that you are, then your vote will be cast. And if you feel so inclined, you can go in and vote once a day, every day. So you can't vote for me more than once in one day, but you can go back the next day. Um, voting's open between the 1st of July and the 31st of July. So by the time this goes out, we've just got about three weeks left to vote. So I would be very grateful if you would vote for me. And if you do vote for me, please leave me a comment or send me a tweet. It's real advice work and I will be sure to mention you in next week's podcast. So thanks very much. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.